podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome back to a Celtic state of mind. Uh, Kevin isn't Gordon the Gover. He is Kevin Graham. I'm Paul John Dykes. Patrick McGill, top right and bottom right, John Hughes. We're here and we're always here, John. But it's uh, we're at that time of the year. Some people call it transfer deadline day. The Celtic board call it Wednesday. What's happening? What is happening today? Anything? No, I don't see it. I, I, I you know... Look, if your man Adamida is the extent of it, then you, you have to wonder what's the point. Um, but look, before we the transfer deadline day started, before the transfer window started, uh, I said on here we would do anything. Like, we wouldn't be rescued in this window. There's no evidence to suggest we'll be rescued in this window. Uh, Brendan's going to have to pull it out of the bag. Uh, he is going to have to sort it out. Because I don't think uh, there's any evidence to suggest that anything will be done. And I, the what I really, really, really wanted to be proved wrong on that. I, I really did. It's so frustrating. I, I know I said it and I shouldn't be frustrated because it's what I was expecting to happen. But you can't help but look at you know the, the, the performance we had the other day and think, we really need uh, reinforcements. This squad is so threadbare at the top end. Um, we are a couple of injuries uh, and, uh, you know, poor form away from being in dire trouble. And as I tweeted out before we come on, um, it's just the topic for today, um, doing nothing, risking everything. Uh, and um, that's just how I feel about it. Yeah, no, but th- there's now this feeling, Patrick, and we said this before we came live, almost a feeling of resignation. And that, you know, on the one hand, and I want to discuss this, if we come out of this transfer window and we've signed Niklas Kuhn and uh, Adam, is it Ida? Ida? Ida. I'm not quite sure. Ida. Yes, I worked um, his very, 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 very short highlight reel. Uh, <laughs> and someone said his name once. Because I think the rest right. of the games didn't have commentary on them. Well, Stephen Sloan points out he's scored as many goals as uh, Liam Scales in his, in his career as well. But uh, listen, I'm going to speak about Adam, Ida, uh, if he does come in. I don't want to tear him to shreds. If that is what we have got um, through this transfer window, Patrick, there's also the discussion to be had, and John pointed pointed this out and touched on it. Brendan Rodgers, step up. None of this surliness, none of this, uh, you know, going into a press conference and looking as if, woe betide me, I've been duped. Listen, you're in a job, get a job done, win the league. You've still got the best squad in the division. Uh, however, it doesn't take away the disappointment of yet another poor transfer window, does it? It doesn't. And, um, you know, I think a lot of the disappointment comes from both what we're watching and what he's been saying in press conferences since Lazio away. I mean, we've all got this expectation of two, three, four first-team quality players because he's crying out for quality. And then... When we play poorly because we've not signed anyone and there's a few boos at full time, he's then having a go at the fans for being unappreciative of the club's efforts, which I, I don't understand at all because we've all taken the lead from his comments uh, just over two months ago. The whole reason we expected all these signings was because of him. Um, we're not we're not going to get two or three quality signings. It's debatable whether we're going to end the window with one. You know, couldn't. We've obviously not seen a lot of him, but he's he's the only signing so far. Um, Adam Ida or Ida, you know, from his stats, does not look a player at all. Uh, another panic loan from an English Championship team. It's it it's it's a reminder of what our strategy was about four or five years ago when Nick Hammond and Neil Lennon were in charge, and we openly admitted that our tactic was to get uh, players from England that clubs didn't want and. We've seen how Neil Lennon and Nick Hammond's spell ended uh, and we do not want a repeat of that. But I, I think this... We obviously had a, a tough couple of weeks, a tough 
six to eight weeks, if you want to call it that, between Atletico Madrid and, you know, the Hearts defeat at home. Mm-hmm. And we, we really sort of bounced back against Rangers and we got the four or five wins in a row. And I think we all went into this window with a, a high expectation based on what the manager was saying. And I think the reason that we're all back in this this sort of resignation, you know, as you called it at the start of the show, is we all expected to be signing these players and it was the club and the manager's expectations and statements that gave us these expectations. Um, so, you know, they can't have a go at the fans when the fans are disappointed. Um, the, the the football has been, you know, ponderous. It's it's led to drop points in recent times. And it's clear that we need improvements if we're going to make sure of winning the league and getting into the Champions League and getting the money. And for whatever reason, it would appear that the club aren't taking that prospect very seriously this is the thing and Patrick makes the point Kev right so we've come out of the the, the summer transfer window we know that we've, we've signed a clutch of players and at the time it's no hindsight at the time I said I don't think it's a good idea when you've just won the treble to have so many new faces coming in I had an issue with the fact that they might not have collectively the mentality that you need to be a winner at Celtic and, and the standards at Celtic is that you win every week no matter what a um, couple of weeks without a win, and it turns into a crisis. If you bring in nine players and they don't share those views and have those standards, that can be an issue. If at any point during the last four or five months, Rogers had said, listen, we've done the vast majority of our building here. There may be a few tweaks if the opportunity arises. Then he's setting the expectations, but that that is not the expectations that were set, was it? No, and I don't think even Rogers set the expectations going into this window. I think he says, oh, we hope to get some things done, blah, 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 load of rubbish, here we go. And what, what we're actually seeing is our business model in full effect, our business model which is keep the old firm alive. Uh, we, we're, like, we're like the Americans who shout for peace, then arm the, the two, two factions that are fighting. What we say and what we do are two completely different things. And we're talking about the chairman of our club and whose son is the only person that should be fired, by the way. Peter Wall shouldn't be fired. Matt Wall should be fired for a cannon and a custard pie and never seen again. Um, So what we're doing here is basically keeping the competition alive. That's it. We have no interest whatsoever other than just being in front of Rangers. And it's good for business, by the way, if Rangers win the league every four or five years. That's what they think. I've been in a room when the chairman of our football club is actually says, Rangers going bust is costing us £5 million and yous need to pay. Was that around the yes. same time, Kev, when they went on a, a kind of roadshow? Uh, Neil Lennon and the CEO went on a roadshow around the CSEs to try and drum up tickets and, and all this yes. kind of stuff because... There was, there was a but dip in this terms is, of the, the, the customer base, as they see it. This, this is the point that we've got back to now. There's no point me sitting here moaning. There's no point everybody moaning in the comments. It's time for direct action. If you want change in this football club, it's going to be hard. It is going to be a hard, long road to get change in this football club. What you need to do is stop their income, stop their income streams, target their sponsors, then they buy any club gear, then they go to games, walk out to games, cause the, the disruption in games. Even if you're five nothing up, you've got to let them know that you're not happy and you want change. And this is the only way that we're going to get change. But as a support, as we hold, we haven't got the balls for it. Line. Well, it's because there's thousands upon thousands who are quite happy just to stay ahead of Rangers. Yes, yeah, there are. And that's what I was going to say. There's a lot who will disagree with you, Kev. And what I would say is your comments are not knee-jerk. If you want proof of that, go back to 2017 when Brent Rogers was in charge first time round and listen to some of the discussions you and I had on a Celtic state of mind because you've been talking about it since way back then. And what then happens is when you start winning or a new manager comes in and there's a brand of football, the chat around the board, the structure of the club, the having a director of football, all these topics of discussions that are really, really relevant and pertinent to where Celtic are, they tend kind of take a back seat for a while, don't they? And that, that always happens, Kev, happens in cycles. And we're sitting here, John, it's not about being spoilt football fans, right? 
Absolutely not. And I'm going back to the point that Patrick was making about uh, Brennan Rogers after the Ross County game. Yeah, we've had this incredible success. And I, I gauge it back to when Martin O'Neill came in, you know, the 23, 24 years since then. Unbelievable reign of success. And I know that obviously we needed the uh, the foundations of that uh, with Fergus coming in, building the stadium, saving the club. But in terms of domination, we've dominated Scottish football. And a lot of people look at Celtic fans, John, and think we're just moaning because we haven't won a game as convincingly as we should have done. These deep-rooted issues have been there for a long, long time. And we've always discussed them, John. Sometimes you get called, um, you know, negative. But in the here and now, we're watching it play out. There seems to be a disconnect between the fans and the club and a disconnect potentially between Brendan and the hierarchy. Well, these are structural issues. Uh, they are systemic and they are repetitive. They are cyclical. Um, and, but one of the things, let's just be clear, there is no sack the board as was. That is a pointless statement because it will never happen. So you can say sack the board to your heart's content. You're wasting your breath. You might as well say, I'm going to paint my room. It makes no difference mm-hmm. to this situation at all. Because, because at the, the end of the day, Dermot Desmond won't allow, allow the club to fall into financial ruin, but he also doesn't need to sell. Now, remember the last board we got rid of to sell because their actual livelihoods depended on it. Dermot Desmond is a billionaire. You are not going to force him to sell his favourite toy. It's not happening, right? So he is loyal to his lackeys, uh, as we've seen with the return of the uh, the, the chairman, uh, the former CEO as chairman, uh, and he will persist. Uh, we saw what happened when we uh, displayed any sort of resistance in the 10 season. He took the hump. Uh, kept the manager on just to spite us. So if you think sack the board means anything, you're you're delusional. And also, to Kev's point, and that is the point, the only action you could take in order to affect change would be potentially extremely destructive to the club. It's radical and it's potentially destructive to the club, and you are never going to get a majority of people to agree to do that. Apart from anything else, you don't take up your season, but there's 10,000 on the waiting list, uh, and you know they'll go to the game instead, and you won't get it back. Now, that said, whether that 10,000 will still be on a waiting list if we keep playing the way we were playing against Ross County, uh, which was a cure for insomnia, uh, then you know I, I, I don't know if how, how long that list will persist, but we cannot sack the board. We cannot force any change at board level. Um, I think the best we can do is try and put pressure on Peter to move his boy along uh, and make sure De- De- uh, Desmond uh, and maybe Ross Desmond puts pressure on Peter to move his boy along. This is now his fourth window. His fourth window of abject failure. Abject failure. Right? Uh, so... Uh, Hammond got, uh, I think, about four. Congerton got about four. Um, you know, the, these guys have a shelf life, uh, especially the ones we um, we bring in because they're charlatans, basically. Uh, Matt Lawwell, as we've said multiple times, is not qualified for this job. It's not the job he was doing. It's not the job, you know, he's just not qualified for it. Uh, we need him to be a scout and identifier of talent. That's not what his job ever was. He was effectively an office manager passing scouting reports from the city group to the people in the jobs that we need him to be doing, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, we, our power here is, is is extremely limited, and that's why the frustration is so immense, and that's why we get annoyed, and that's why we keep talking, you know, that's why we sound so disappointed all the time, because we cannot affect change. There is no fan voice in that boardroom. In fact, Quite the opposite. If you think of, you know, the way that Desmond treated the fans, the way that Lowell uh, thinks of the fans and treated the fans, Michael Nicholson learned at the feet of Peter Lowell. What do you think Mark Lowell learned his trade, you know, his, his attitudes from towards fans? Um, we, we are not taken seriously. Uh, our voice isn't taken seriously. Uh, and, you know, it's no surprise why, because you know we we keep on, we're going to keep supporting the club, 
that's the thing. We're going to keep supporting the club because we believe it's our club, but they believe it's their club and they're the ones holding all the power. So, uh, you know, we, we are in a catch-22 uh, and we'll come on to these and, uh, and point out the, these platforms and, and point out our frustrations, point out our anger, uh, point out our disappointment. But at the end of the day, they don't care and they don't need to care. Uh, so... It's difficult to know what to do. It's difficult to know how to feel about it. As I said, I, you know, I said we weren't going to do anything. We're not going to do anything. And just on that final point, you don't bring a former uh, CEO back as chairman for very good reasons. It's against basic corporate governance principles, and we're seeing it now. The six months he was away was probably the brightest and best six months the club has had in many years. Uh, we felt as if there was change. We felt as if there was a change in the dynamic that Nicholson was doing his job quickly and effectively. Uh, and since uh, since he's come back, what happens is the attitudes that were prevalent before permeate the club again. Um, and that's from the very top down. Um, and the culture persists, the former culture persists. Um, and again, the attitudes persist. And that's why you don't bring them back. Uh, so, uh, uh, you know, they, they've done analysis of this, boards of directors, have, there's been analysis done on it, saying that the, the potential for the next CEO um, is completely stunted um, uh, and uh, it, they, they can't uh, implement their own ideas because from the top down again, the, the old culture just comes back. Yeah. So. There's very, very good reasons for it, and um, so it is very frustrating. So, I, you know, I tend to ramble when I'm frustrated, so uh, I, I do apologise. But, you know, it is, I mean, I don't know where we go or what we do from this, apart from talk about it and hope maybe that something radical happens. John makes a, an extremely good point, and that's the point that I'm trying to make. We're powerless. We need to break Desmond's toy for us to get any sort of change, and that will be painful. Breaking Desmond's toy is going to be painful. What John's just summed up there, doesn't matter what we say, sack the board is a useless comment because we didn't do nothing about it. And it's a waste of time saying it because we can't sack them because of the power that Desmond's got. They didn't listen to our voice. They didn't listen to anything. Eh? If you want change... If you want change, the only thing you can actually do is break Desmond's toy. And none of us have got the guts for that. So we may as well just roll over and get our bellies tickled. Remember, Kev, during the the COVID season where the frustrations started to boil over, it was a Ross County game, wasn't it? The 2-0 game up at Celtic Aye. Park. And I don't know, I can't speak for any other Celtic platforms at the time, but... You know, they had started communicating with Celtic platforms like a Celtic state of mind. We were getting messages, Kev, after that game, weren't we? We were getting messages from people at the club to try and and get people to to realise that it's unacceptable to be frustrated. You know, they were trying to temper our frustration and our anger. And they were trying to temper other people who may be tuning into a a platform like a Celtic state of mind uh, and trying to set the narrative. And you're reading this message, Patrick, going, no, I feel exactly the same as the guy outside the stadium. I'm just, I've not travelled through under these conditions of a lockdown from Dunfermline, but I feel exactly the same. Why on earth would I, I try and and, and uh, speak to people who tune into Axom and say, oh, we need to remain calm, everything's all right? Because we've seen it a mile off, didn't we, in that season? And, and the comparisons, you know, in terms of seeing a problem ahead are there. When you talk about comparisons between uh, the situation we were in with the board, that we could sack the board because obviously the the action was taken and a massive part of that was a, a kind of a street movement um, working hand in hand with the people who had the finance, uh, and it could be done. We're in a completely different scenario, Patrick. The, your your love and uh, commitment to Celtic is unconditional. What what Kev's talking about there, he's right. A vast majority of Celtic fans wouldn't be up for that. And then there'd be a lot of onlookers saying, these are all a bunch of spoiled brats anyway. I mean, just because you haven't won a game, just because you haven't seen the player. But it goes deeper than that, to, to you know, touch on one of John's points. One of the biggest issues here um, is recruitment and the fact that the chairman's son is the head of that department. After four windows, the club need to review that. 
they need to review what the situation is there. If they don't make a change at that point, then what do you do as a fan base? Because then we're looking towards the summer. Now, the summer could well be um, getting our squad just across the line to try and compete in, in the Champions League, and let's hope it is. But, it, you know, it might not be that at all. We might have to go through, uh, jump through hoops to, to play in, in the big competition because there's no guarantee we're going to win this league. So what I'm looking ahead. I'm looking at the situation in the second half of the season. What if all we've got is two signings? Are they the quality that Brendan Rodgers desired? And are they going to do the job and get us this league title? Because if not, major changes have to happen. Yeah, and I think this is the, the ugly and uncomfortable truth that we all have to reckon with, that we are ultimately powerless, certainly in the short term. Um, you know, Kevin sums it up quite well. The club would have to have to fail as a business for several years in a row for, you know, board members to get their jotters. Um, you know, if, if a group could get together a Celtic fans and make demands and say, well, you know, we're withholding our cash until X, Y and Z leave the club, um, you know, that, that might be manageable over a couple of years, in my opinion. But the Desmond family, I don't think, I can't see any way in which they are removed from power at Celtic, if I'm being honest. Um, they've got hundreds of money. The club is successful. They've got no reason to sell. Um, as John accurately described it, it is a toy for these people. It's an association. It's it's a good thing for Desmond to be associated with as a as an Irish businessman and a billionaire. Um, so it, it really is quite... Um, I don't know how to describe it. It's, it's quite unsettling almost that you're totally powerless as to these terrible decisions that are made. And, you know, we've seen it in the past. You're talking about Lee Congerton. It's the exact same cycle. You're, you're bringing a head of equipment who is bad at his job. Um, and due to the nepotism at the club, the same old faces for two decades, um, we, we just can't get rid of these people. And, you know, you bring up the Ross County game from the COVID season. That was an instance where the fans were, uh, in that case, three, four months ahead of the board in seeing... Mm that the performances weren't good enough. And listen, there's no excuse for violence and throwing fences at players' cars and all that sort of stuff. But I think the protests were merited because we had paid, what, I think it's 500 quid for a season ticket to watch it at home. We were served up absolute dross. And we all wanted the same thing, voucher. certainly by that we've stage. We've got a 50 voucher for a spending of season ticket money that season. Eh? And, that was nice. and a pathetic excuse of a live stream uh, in the second mm -hmm. half of the season for that Sunset and Vine contract. But, you know, it's... As I say, you know, the, the fans were ahead of the board and seeing that it wasn't good enough. Again, middle finger stuck up to the fans. They put a, a big barricade around Celtic Park for months on end. I mean, how ridiculous. What a, what a message that is to people who are paying you hundreds, if not thousands of pounds a year. Mm -hmm. um, and, I mean, what do you get in return? You get poor recruitment. Um, you know, we don't seem to take the Champions League seriously, but they try and sell it to us every year. I mean, we're now in a situation, I, I, I've been talking for months about how they're going to sell a £200 four-match package in the Champions League. That was me assuming we're going to get into the Champions League. We're now facing a situation, a totally ridiculous situation, where we might not reach the Champions League from a position of such strength in the summer. Um, God knows how they're going to market a Europa League four-match package. Um, if you're wanting to start a boycott, I think you can start there because the uptake in that will not be good uh, if things get that bad. Um, but, you know, in the short term, I think it's now so late that we can give up on the two, three, four players of quality that we needed. Um, all we can sort of do is hope and pray that Kuhn is a good player. Hatati's injury isn't too serious that he picked up about an hour ago. Um, and that we can hopefully get either a goalkeeper, a left-back and a striker in in the next 24 hours or so, because we still need reinforcements, but we've left it so late now that it, it, it just looks impossible. And as and you CCB. say, we're resigned to... Sorry, ah, sorry, that sorry, potential injury as well. Yeah, no, potential injury. I, I, I do apologise. Uh, but the worst thing is now, we've made a complete mop out of Lager Bielk, and yeah. now we're having to try and keep him. Yeah, and he's and he is rightly raging and doesn't want to stay. And if he does stay, uh, even if he does play, can you imagine what his attitude's going to be like? I know. Uh, so since the minute he's come in, it's been very, very apparent, and I imagine just as apparent to us, 
So I imagine it was apparent to him. And we are privy to information that said that manager almost immediately just basically said he's not fast enough, he can't play. And has only played him when he absolutely had to. As soon as people were fit, he's never played him again. Uh, and that, and I've gone on about this particular transfer a number of times now, but that illustrates serious problems in uh, the way transfers are done. So let's just go back over this one transfer. We knew it was slow. It was any stats. It was completely any stats. So Mark Lowell uh, and uh, friends in the recruitment department obviously didn't look at the information. And the reason they didn't look at the information uh, is because he was recommended by Starfelt's agent where we were getting Starfelt out of the building. So yeah. Starfelt's agent has sold us a pup. Those boys didn't know, uh, didn't care to look at the information to see they'd sold us a pup. Then the manager comes in and says, I've signed off all these players. And I said before, you know, you're getting paid three and a half million a year. You can't be taking someone else's homework and saying that'll do, you know. So for Brendan to then say, turn around and then say, oh, they've given me a player that can't run is a disgraceful, disgraceful comment. You're getting paid three and a half million a year, mate. If you don't know what analytics we use and, and you're not even bothered to look at the analytics to see whether, you know, the basics of the player, is he fast? Does he win aerial duels? What's his shot passing like? All that stuff. You obviously haven't done that. And it is not throwing someone else under the bus to use the words they have given me. You're throwing yourself under the bus yeah, because you haven't done your job. Now, they haven't either, but neither of you. And within that one transfer of a guy we bought for three million and now we're trying to punt out the door six months later when he's hardly kicked a ball, right? Within that one transfer, that, that completely uh, encapsulates all the kind of problems that we have, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you're, so you're, cause the other thing is as well, you, you know, th- these guys, this, as I say, this is his fourth window. He, he's, he's barely found the one or two decent players in that entire time, right? Out of 22, 23, 24 that he's actually brought in. Um, and we are supposed to, you know, just nod and take that on faith now that that's going to improve. Why? Why would it improve? What's going to change here? Because we've seen, even with Brendan's influence, nothing has changed. Yeah. You know, the manager asked for quality. And, and, and to be fair, Paul John, I admired your straight face when you're asking, you know, is Kuhn or Ida, you know, the quality players the manager asked for? It was a loaded that, question, John. That, that is genuinely funny. Right. So, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's what you asked for. I uh, Can I get two sort of middling into poor ranked players? and hope that one of them is... You know, the things you were hearing about either, or oh, his raw potential, or oh, the rest of it, we've got nothing but, nothing but raw and potential. Yeah. You know, that we don't need any more of that. You know, and again, we, we can... You know, real middling starts, middling, you know... Um, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't one of these, it was a great player and then has dropped off, but he's just, you know, he's, he's come through at the sort of level that we're looking at pretty average. Is he guy that's going to go straight in at the first team and improve the first team? I'd be surprised if he's actually significantly better than the wingers that we have. Um, but even said, you know, he's no guarantee. So it's not the quality the manager was talking about. And as you rightly point out, Brendan is now going to have no choice. But to, don't don't sit there with your greeting face on because you've been in as long, you know, how long has Brendan been in now the whole half a season? What have you been doing all this time? Right, on the recruitment front. What's Lowell been doing all this time on the recruitment front? Literally, what are you doing every day? Because I don't understand what you're doing every day. You know, I mean, there are only so many players in the world and the majority of them are ruled out because they're either not good enough or too good. So there's a limited number of players that we'll be looking at. uh, To just be sitting uh, at the point that we're going into a window and just... Not having there should have been a, a queue of guys lined up, and if we didn't get number one, we should have got number two. I don't understand if that's your full time job, what are you doing? And if Brendan, you're coaching the players, um, and uh, you know, you're saying the recruitment's not your side, well, you're not doing a very good job either because the, the players are not playing well, you know. So, that there's, there's a number of issues here just on the playing side and on the recruitment side that are extremely extremely worrying 
Um, and I'm not even bored about play, playing Rangers or matching. I'm w- w- worried about losing points as we did before, an eight-point lead. We're losing points to minor teams because he doesn't seem to be able to get us through those games. So, you know, the, the, there's plenty of blame to grow around here and uh, neither uh, Brendan Rodgers or Mark Lowell are uh, innocent of this or the board, in fact, who probably didn't revise their budget even in the face of the manager's demands. Yeah, no, and the thing is, well, John, we will talk about uh, the player who apparently is having a medical today. We will talk about the impact of Rio Atati and Carter Vickers' injuries. One of the impacts could well be that we keep Lagerberg. How on earth do you motivate the player after he's already been speaking to uh, Italian media outlets to say that he's keen to start playing and making a difference in Serie A? How can you then flick that switch and flick that mentality and start to give your all for Celtic again? They're not robots. Jungle Lion, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on Adam Either. You've obviously seen him for... Ireland can't get a game for Norwich and the worst Republic of Ireland team in 50 years. Kev, I'm you know, on the subject of recruitment. I can see this one rumbling on at least for the next half an hour. 1,600 strong watching the Axon Bulletin on this Wednesday afternoon. Welcome every single one of you. Thank you all for getting involved. I wonder, Kev, our recruitment system, is it data-driven? So what I mean by that is when you get your shortlist to five players, you need a left-back, and it takes them from 50 down to 10, down to 5, and then you've got your shortlist of players. Are we using data for that? Because John's given an example there of Lagerbjelk. Now, we, we've got all that money in the bank. We know that Starfelt's leaving. He's a starter. You know, we need to replace him with quality, the word that Brennan Rogers has used. How do we identify the guy to step in? Because somebody told him he was decent. I mean, seriously, this is Celtic Football Club. We talk about being a big club, Kev. That's tin pot, that approach. Absolutely tin pot. Look, it's easy for the whole structure of the club to be successful, to look successful uh, in the sewage-filled pond that we're actually playing in. It's easy to look successful. It's easy to point out this, this and this. Look what we've done. Look what we've done. This is great. This is great. We're playing against fermers and tractor drivers the majority of the week. As soon as we go to elite levels against elite clubs, we get schooled. We get absolutely schooled as soon as we go any higher. And if we were in the English Premiership, we would just be as badly run as ever. We, we, when you look at our European record over the last 20 years, we are just as badly run as ever. If we were actually in England, we would be bobbing about League One, going, how did that happen? We wouldn't have a clue how that happened. We would have, we'd have dropped like a stain with these charlatans in charge. Recruitment. I'll tell you how I think the recruitment works. Oh, hiya there. It's Mark Wall here. You got any left back for us, Mr. Agent? Aye, send us that list. Mm-hmm. Uh, right, Tosh, can you go and watch this left back? It's playing for Whitehall Welfare. Thank you very much. That's <laughs> how it goes. We wait on phone calls for agents. We wait to see who we're offered. Recommendations. The whole reason, the whole reason that we got Lager Bielka was because he's the same agent as Carl Starfield. Mm-hmm. And now... Need to go into the Ange Postacoglu thing. If you look at Postacoglu's thing closely, the majority of his signings all came for the same agent as well. This is how it works. It just so happens that our favoured agents have got a suitcase full of tat that Del Boy would wouldn't actually sell in a market. That's the agents that we trust. Matt Walls is in his job because he's got a great contact book. That's it. He'll have a great contact book because he got that via Man City. And we can ask the question, what's happened to our Man City tunnel? Yeah. Has yeah. it been blown up or something like that? I mean, when we used to get all these Man City uh, trainees come up the road and get game time and we thought they were actually great. Where have they all disappeared to? No, you're right. I mean, if you look at them all, we, we, well, I mean, we've we done better than not through that connection. We've went, we've went for Man City, guys who couldn't, couldn't get a game for Chelsea in Man City, the age of Masonda, we'll go back to that the, that January transfer one day, to know the guys that can't get game for Norwich. Mm, oh, wait a minute, there's something up here, eh? There's definitely something up. We're we a very, we are a poor club, and that's, we're reactive. And Brendan puts up with it. And he put up with it previously for a number of seasons. Then he eventually, kid was turned by the offer for China. Then he just went, I'm, I'm going to get out of here. As me and you know, Paul, he can't, he was getting the Leicester jobs months before he actually took it. 
Yeah. So as we rattle out the pram, was well timed, known full well that he had a backup plan. Rogers is just as majorly as fault that anybody else here. He's a bold lackey. He's a Deadman Desmond lackey, bottom line. He will only go when it suits him. Well, a couple of things, Kev. The first one, for anyone who didn't tune in back in the day when Kev and I spoke about Brennan Rogers leaving, what you're referring to there, Kev, you and I were at a, a football tournament. Um, I, yeah. Six Aside tournament in Glasgow. We were interviewing Alan Rambo McAnally, who famously said to Kevin, No, Kev, I insist, call me Rambo. And he <laughs> told us, <laughs> true story, this was pre Rogers leaving. He told us it was an open secret that Brennan Rogers was going to Leicester. And me and Kev were looking at each other. And back then, Kev, we were doing everything on our iPhones, absolutely blagging it, remember? Uh-huh. And, um, we didn't think that we should mention it on Axom at the time because we were just like, look, we look as though we're trying to rock the boat a wee bit here. Anyway, it happened. And it did happen, Kev, That's exactly as I've just described. And from time to time, when you're in the presence of people who are in the game or pundits, you pick up all these wee tidbits. Sometimes we're able to throw them out there. Hence the reason John's talking about lager belk and the information we've been able to, to collect about uh, how the gaffer thinks about them. But what I'm going to say there... Um, Kev used the word reactive, Patrick. And in the modern game, right, you might not be able to go and buy the best player, obviously because of the way the food chain and, and world football, the way that it's gone. But you can compete to buy the best people in data, the best people in recruitment, and be more proactive in that respect. And that's what I find frustrating, right? Because it is all down to what Kev says there on recommendations. And John has confirmed one of the, the most recent examples of that was a recommendation. Surely it should be a combination of all of these things where you've got a really good contact book, good relationships with various people and agents at different clubs and all this kind of stuff. But it needs to also have an element of a data system that when you put side by side Ivan Tony alongside Albion Ayeti, you know that Tony is the guy to sign, right? Because at some point, you think that's maybe happened? No, of course it didn't. This is Celtic. But if it did happen, you would know not to sign a Yeti. But we went and did it anyway. And it's not a sophisticated system, Patrick. There's there's clubs in the Scottish Championship using, you know, data-driven recruitment. It doesn't seem as though we are. And if not, why? Yeah, I mean, why? I, I suppose is we keep on giving jobs to mates and stuff. I mean, you've got McManus and O'Day running the youth team. Um, there's no way on planet Earth those are the two best people to be running the youth set up at Celtic. I mean, if you look at the Champions League, I think we got the... I think we, Based on points and goal difference, I think we were 29th out of 32 teams. So in theory, we're the 29th best team in Europe this season. That's a, that's We shouldn't have two former defenders running the entire youth setup, taking turns managing games. And then, well, you look at Laga Bielka, you look at Albion Ayeti, it's as if they haven't even looked at the stats. It's as if they're, they're, they're avoiding looking at it. They definitely have it in front of them because all you need to do is open Twitter and follow guys like Alan Morrison and they'll give you the stats. There's guys doing this in their free time and, there's, and then you've got people inside Celtic paid six figures who ignore these sorts of things. And, you know, Kev's spot on. I'm pretty sure El Hamed was um, from uh, Dudu Dahan. A recommendation. I don't think we scouted him at all either. That was a, a I mean, that, that kind of worked out. He was quite good for a year, but the amount that we rely on agents is frightening. It's almost as if we don't have a scouting network. Um, and again, it just shows there is so much money in the club. We pay so much money every year and these guys aren't even doing their due diligence. They're just taking on recommendations from the contact book. And it's not even a good recommendation because, as Kev says, the City Pipeline has dried up. Um, we seem to just be signing you know, absolute dross from anywhere and everywhere. I mean, we had a sort of Japanese connection. And then mm. once Ange leaves, once he's identified as two or three gems, we send our own guys over there and we're signing absolute dross from there in South Korea. Um, so it's quite clear. I don't know if it's laziness, incompetence, um nepotism, whatever you want to call it, we're certainly not doing our jobs in recruitment. And, you know, you then go back to the boardroom and you say, well, there's like three families running the club, Desmond, Lawwell and Strachan, and they're all looking out for each other. 
And again, there's nothing we can do about that. So you go from recruitment and saying we're not making good enough signings, and there's a, quite a clear link to the running of the club by the share, the, the the principal shareholder, and the guys in the board. And I think that's everyone's frustration. Um, but you know, to answer your question, it's. I mean, it's not simple. I'm sure guys like Alan Morris and Juco James, all the guys on Twitter, they spend hours over this, over the stats, the research, the data, the analytics. So I'm not saying it's easy, but there's there's plenty of money to hire the right people and get the right information. And we're clearly choosing not to do that. It's not it's not for a lack of trying. It's we're choosing not to. It's it's not that Paddy. I mean, if you ever, if you ever watch English English football, European football. I, I watched quite a few of the games last night and like they were rubbish. A lot of the games were rubbish, even though you've got guys getting seven, eighty thousand pounds a week. But you just look at the physicality and the athleticism of these boys that are playing for Nottingham Forest, that are playing for maybe championship clubs and that as well. And they would pick up every every one of your signings and snap them like a twig. They would eat them like a matchmaker. We're signing midgets compared to in the games went into this completely age of athleticism. Do we never sign anybody above five at nine? I mean, you, you look at the top level teams, they're all six foot plus everywhere. Absolutely everywhere. And I think Kyogo's a, a completely different, like, uh, a completely different ball game that we could have an argument about Kyogo. But we signed Burnaby and he's smaller than Greg Taylor. One of the things about Greg Taylor was. Yeah. By the way, he keeps on getting targeted by big hoofers that go and stand next to him for a high ball. So what do we do? I'd be saying a backup player is weird in them. That's brilliant, eh? I, I think that's Kev, absolutely Kev, magic. Kev, I, I don't want you to get in trouble, mate. I think technically Tilio is uh, referred to as a little person. Uh, yeah. So you we sign gnomes and yeah. leprechauns. That's what we sign. <laughs> And the thing is as well, we were looking at Owen Beck on that point, Kev, we're looking at Owen Beck at left back. And I think between Beck, uh, Taylor and Bernabe, there was about two inches. I think between the three guys, there was about two inches. And uh, yeah, it's not all always about that, Kev, but I think that we have been targeted massively in terms of the, the stature uh, of certain areas of the team, left back primarily. And Greg Taylor, inevitably, because we, we called it last week or a week before, Left-back goalkeeper, centre-forward is going to get injured. And it happens. And we've got to call on Alexandro Bernabe. And and he is one of the players, John, that you're referring to within that list um, that has been overseen by Matt Lowell. If we get through this, I want to talk about what happens next. Because if we get through this transfer window and our two signings um, of quality, John, um, are obviously Ida and uh, Nicholas Kuhn. What I'm going to say here uh, is, right, Brendan, it's on you now. You've got to, you've got to show your credentials. It's not about being in a press conference moaning about the Celtic fans moaning at you. You've got to step up now. Give us uh, an identity. What is the identity of the Celtic team? What is the style of the Celtic team? You've got so many wingers since we lost Jota. We brought in Tilio, Yang, Palmer, and Kuhn. We brought in four wingers since we lost Jota. Right. So you've overseen them, apparently your words. You said an an AGM and also at the press conference when you joined the club. So why are they not playing to the benefit of the team and to the benefit of Kyogo, who last season and the season before was your talisman? That's on the manager then, John. You've got to look at the squad after this window closes and say, right, now you're going to have to earn your wages. Don't start getting grumpy. Don't start the Terminado during interviews and all that nonsense. Just get to work start winning and win the league. And and for me, yeah, maybe he's been hamstrung, John, but then the onus and the focus is on Brendan as of the 1st of Mar- uh, February, as far as I'm concerned. So, but what's he done? You're, you're, I mean, since he came in, we're still playing the, the same formation mm-hmm. uh, as we were under Ange, despite the fact we have no wingers. And how many months have we been saying this for? Why are we playing this formation when we have no wingers? Uh, you know, but why is Kyogo starved of, of supply? Uh, if you look at, I think it was just this morning actually, Alice, Alan Morrison put out an article and like the four top people who are responsible for Kyogo's supply, um, sorry, the five top people, only one of them, Matt O'Reilly, has been playing. 
So Jota's gone, the rest of them have mainly been injured or not in the, in the team. Um, and those were the people who were supplying him all his goals. Uh, and they're, they're not in the team anymore. They're not yeah. there, you know. And so we're restricted to, you know, Palmer, for instance, who has as as a one-trick pony. Uh, he genuinely has no other tricks. He is a complete one-trick pony. You show him the outside all day and he won't take it. He's only interested in cutting in uh, and he's got a very, very good right foot and that's fair enough. But when you know he's not going down the outside, it's dead easy to defend against him. So, you know, uh, and Abad is looking for space uh, and the other side wouldn't take any, any men on uh, unless he's put into space. So we are we are predictable. Uh, we are not playing, in my view, the correct formation. Uh, Brendan Rodgers has been looking at that all year. Now, I'm not a coach. Um, I can only look at the outcomes. So, you know, I can't tell you if Brendan's right or wrong. All I can do is look at the outcome and say, that is not the outcome that we are looking for. We, our style of play, I mean, the Rangers game, for instance, if you take that as a one-off, those were two sensational goals. They were sort of worldy goals, and we always get a wee bit more space against them. But they had a midfield injury crisis, and we won it in the midfield. Mm-hmm. And we're holding on for the last 15 minutes against 10 men. So, you know, if you want to look at that with an objective head on, does that scream that we're miles better than Rangers? No, it really doesn't. <clears throat> and they're strengthening, and we are, as far as I can see, not. So, you know, as I say, are Rangers even the problem? Because, we, you know, we've beaten them twice this year. It's the other teams that are the issue. We don't seem to have the attitude or the, and I hate blaming attitude. I hate blaming attitude. It's lazy and always, you know, the assumption that players don't have the right attitude in a game, I think, is just a real lazy way to say you're not really sure what's going on. Um, but you know, there does seem to be a problem getting up from the smaller teams at this point. Um, you know, I mean, Ross County, did they play well or did, they, did we uh, make them look as if they played well? Uh, did we give them space, let them through? And I mean, we were, what was it? I mean, we were a dual heart foot and a crossbar uh, away from, you know, dropping points again. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, to miss, to miss two penalties in a row like that, you know, with the same run up and the same, you know, even, good God, it was awful to watch. Um, but look, I mean, generally overall, People are unhappy simply because the performances haven't been good enough. And um, I have to say, while Mr Johnson comments the, the other day, maybe that is indicative of the kind of problem we've got with one one nil under Boone. Well, I'll tell you what, Alison, you're playing in the game. You go back home and watch it and tell me how you feel about it. You go back home and watch it as a punter. My, my, my neighbour from across the road here, uh, jumped on uh, the Dublin bus uh, in the morning, went over. Uh, and, you know, for us, that's a massive, massive sacrifice. You're, you're, you're talking, uh, you're not talking about guys just coming from the environs of Celtic Park. You're talking about guys who dedicate their entire weekends to this, who spend, you know, two and a half to three hours on a bus, then another three hours on a boat, then another three hours on a bus, get to the game and do the same on the way back. And that's the performance you want to put in and then say, I can't believe they're booing us. Well, you watch it then and see what you thought of it. I've, you know, got, uh, I've got the utmost respect for the guys and I've also got the utmost respect for those who had the energy to stay to the end and boo because I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I left after 70 minutes and my biggest regret is I didn't leave at half time because I could have known what was going to happen. The thing is, Kev, the, the thing with that comment, right, is John mentioned attitude. I, I, I tend to go down the mentality route, John, in that Asim said on Monday, if you've got three games to go and you need to win every game and you play rubbish and you win one nothing, you move on, you, you barely look back. But this is indicative of an issue we've had all season. And the crossbar or Joe Hart's foot is the only reason we never drop points. And if they can't see that that is an issue, not just a one-off, it's an issue that has reared its ugly head time and time again this season, then that's a mentality issue. Because for me, it's you know not always going to be free flowing football. But Celtic have always played a brand of football. We've, we've got a couple of examples this season where I think we've hit the heights. But the demands of the Celtic fan base, 
I've used the Tommy Burns example this week a couple of times. When he gave his famous speech after the Scottish Cup final, Kevin, the centenary season, the prelude to that was talking about the demands of the fans because that's why we won so many games late in the day. People used to talk about that. You know, we, we used to, we never stop. This isn't a new phenomenon. We used to do that back in the 80s as well. But Tommy Burns was talking about the fact that the fans, would, they would not accept any less than that 100% you know, effort and tempo to the very last kick of the ball. And he got it. So when somebody comes in from the other side of the world, and I think if you bring nine of them in from all over the world and they don't get that, that's a mentality issue. And it can be a mentality swing, Kev, in the dressing room and on the training pitch. I've seen pictures of Callum McGregor this morning bellowing at Gustav Lagerbelk in the first Celtic Rangers game of the season because the guy just didn't get it. I've seen him doing it at the weekend, looking up on the left-hand side for an out ball, and Palma and Bernabe are, are doing nothing. They're planning their night out that night and it was all over the social media channel. They're not there, they're not finding the space. So I think there is a mentality issue, and that's something, again, if he's a man-manager, Kev, over to you, Brendan. Sort it. I mean, I think, I think as well, there is, there is a mentality issue there, and you say, the old we didn't stop, we go for 90 minutes. The majority of the games at home this season have never started to stop to do anything. Um, I mean, I've started playing walking football and I reckon I could get a game for the Celtic team. My dream of playing for Celtic is still alive because they play at walking pace now. I mean, I'm, I'm actually... Do, do they have a walking football team though, by the way? Ah, it's the first team. That is a walking football team. <laughs> um, That's one for you and Jim Orr to set up, Kev. Aye, me and Jim Orr will need to get on to that. I mean, we spent two seasons on the edge of your seats being entertained. Now we're on the edge of your seats wondering when it's early enough to actually leave because this is absolutely rubbish to, to watch. And that makes me sound entitled and I do not care. It makes me sound entitled. I pay 600 quid to go there and again, I'm not going to get entertainment every week. Eh? But it's I want a bit of entertainment. I want a bit of effort and, I, and I'm actually not getting that. And I'm just getting players who look disinterested. I'm getting a manager who looks like he would rather be anywhere else than standing in that dugout. And it's just complete and utterly stale. It's like a two-week-old wolf. That's what it is. And it could just be the Ange Poster Coglu hangover and this is just the, the transition into it, eh? But it's dreadful. And the team hasn't got the mentality. I mean, after Palmer took that first penalty, somebody should have been gone, give me that ball. You're not going why, anywhere Why is Kyogo not taking them, Kev? Why is Kyogo not taking these penalties? I know he missed one that I can That would have been remember. his first touch of the ball. If he would have took the penalty, he was probably yeah. scared. Yeah, like, double, double his touches every game if he takes a penalty. I mean, I think uh, what I read about this guy from Norwich City that were getting on loan, he put an option to buy, by the way. That tells you absolutely everything about him. He's never missed a penalty. So maybe we can just bring him on for penalties and, like, take, take it with that. But why is, why is McGregor not going to Palmer? No, go. I'm taking this. You, you get somebody else stepping up and going... No, mate, that was absolutely ridiculous what you done. Then he spends the second one staring at the opposite corner where he's going to put it, where, for the one where he put it the first time, and the keeper's going, I can't, you're putting it that way. I know that you're putting it the same way. It's dreadful. And I need to talk, stop talking about Lewis Palmer because folk got on my back and saying I had a bit of a hang about him, but uh, he's just annoying. I think, he, I think he's just my focus of my ire because there's so many things annoying me. Uh, and that Celtic team at the moment. And look, if we go a goal doing it any other game, we're no winning. We haven't got we haven't got the mentality to come back. I mean, I says at half time and I'm going to stick by this. I will be extremely pleased just to win the league this year. Because I don't think we've got the mentality to fight on two competitions. I do yeah. not think we've got that. I do not I don't think we've got the mentality to go a goal doing and come back. Just mm -hmm. with what we've seen since the Atletico Madrid game, I think we're just going to sleepwalk to the end of the season. And if we lose this league, it's on our fault. If we win this league, then everybody else has just been terrible because it's not what we've done. I want to bring Patrick in because he's been sitting patiently there. Sorry, Patrick. <laughs> I've not spoke to you for a wee while, Patrick. But that's my fault. What I'm going to say, though, if, that, if Kev says, if what Kev says comes to fruition, and we sleepwalk our way through the second half of the season, but because 
there is enough quality that we win the league. There is an issue with that. Obviously, I want to win the league, but there's an issue in that the board will say, I told you so, we're doing things fine. The recruitment's all right. We're good enough. And it goes right back to the, the point at the very top of the show. Just keeping your nose in front in Scotland is enough for certain people. And a lot of them are on the board at Celtic Football Club, Patrick. So although that's what you want, you want to win the league, it does mask a million deficiencies, doesn't it? It does. But, you know, I, I like to think that, you know, we're all a lot smarter than that. And, um, you know, if we were to repeat this season 10 times, you know, how many people would actually pay five, six hundred pounds for a season ticket? I mean, Kevin just said there, you know, obviously I'm the same. You know, you're paying this money for a season ticket and you don't expect to be entertained every week. But the league is your bread and butter. You expect to be playing good football most weeks. I mean, you're, play, you're paying quite a premium to watch it. Um, and if, if this continues, I mean... If the goal is to win the league and just win the league and we've already pumped loads of money into the club just to see a point ahead of Rangers who have been financially mismanaged for about 25 years, then that's a really low bar. And I don't think people will put up with that year on year on year. We need to actually... I mean, the 10 in a row thing obviously kept all the fans you know, driving towards one aim for a full decade. We don't have that anymore. So the, the goal is now Europe and to progress in Europe. And the Super League thing at the forefront means there's a change in landscape and we need to be competitive. And we don't seem to be attempting to do that at all. Um, so to remain an, a force in Europe and to keep season ticket holders paying the money, we need to be a lot better than this um, because it's not good enough to be one point ahead of Rangers anymore. I know that might be Peter Lawwell's aim and Dermot Desmond's aim, but the club will get smaller and smaller and Scottish football will get smaller and smaller compared to the other European leagues if we continue if we continue to have that alone as a name. Um try to remember your question now, but <laughs> No, I think Patrick, what you're saying there, for me it opens up the discussion that I'm going to throw over to John in that if that is the mentality within the boardroom, John, surely that comes back to the point that was made earlier. We need a diversity of opinion in that boardroom. There needs to be... I mean, I keep using the examples of Brian Rolson and, and Tom Allison and combined service of 40 years plus. Where are you going to get... If the echo chamber is, keep your nose ahead of Rangers, right, and everything will be fine and they'll keep coming and they'll buy their tickets and they'll buy their merch. Patrick has just pointed out the game's changing. Ten in a row isn't there anymore. European football is completely changing. But it's almost as if they're still stuck in that, that dark age, John. And that, that yeah. is worrying for me because, as you said before, it's very difficult to make these changes at that level at the football club. Yeah. Just to point out that uh, Ridiculizer made a comment there, or, which was a, a cracker. If you tolerate this, then the title will be next. Uh, so I could, in my head, I was actually singing that. I know I'm singing it as well. <laughs> so, but uh, as we know, uh, the fish rots from the head down. Uh, so, you know, that's what I was saying about these attitudes. So, Dermot Desmond's an incredibly successful guy. Um, you know, some of his achievements in business are, are really outstanding, and I have nothing but respect for them. But if you've ever met these guys, right, they see themselves as like on a different level than us, a completely different level. Um, and to, to a lot of degree, that, you know, if you're talking financially or anything else, like a success, all the rest of it, they are completely different level. So but that permeates, you know, their organisations and their beings, and everyone surrounds them are, are all sort of uh, lackeys to them because they have proven how successful they are. Yeah. But then what happens is they recruit people, and that attitude permeates into those people, uh, the, the laws of the world, who have done nothing, uh, to justify that sort of attitude, who haven't uh, are not entrepreneurs, who haven't created anything, who haven't built a massive business. Uh, all they've done uh, in this case, for instance, is uh, gather up our, hoard our money and paid themselves increased wages and bonuses on the back of it, and then refused to spend it uh, on the basis of an almost self-fulfilling prophecy that we might not reach the Champions League, uh, and therefore we've got to keep it. Well, do you know what I mean? What's going to happen if we don't spend it? We're not going to reach the Champions League. We're now 
we're now basically in a gunfight with a, a team that you know essentially you know came to the gunfight with like a, you know a, a wooden leg and a pen knife, um, and you know we we are we are there. That we sounds like a night out in Dunfermline. <laughs> <laughs> you know we are there kitted up. You know so we we've got machine guns and uh, yet we just don't buy any bullets for them. Uh, so it's 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 an insane attitude. I, I just really don't understand it. But it does. It's an attitude that permeates from the top down of people feeling they're superior and they know better and they're not interested in outside voices. And because they have gathered up all this money, they feel as if they've done their job. All they've done is hoard down the money and take advantage of the supporters and not deliver them the product they want. And there is no other business in the world where you'd get away with that. Do you know what I mean? Because most other businesses, people would just vote with their feet and say, well, I've had enough of this. You know, you can't treat me like that. But this, you know, we are, you know, we have a love for the club. Um, and as I said right at the start, we still think that club is ours. They do not agree, right? Uh, and technically, you know, they're correct. It's emotionally ours, but <clears throat> financially it's theirs. And so, <clears throat> as I say, that attitude, and that, that that was the good thing about Lowell going, there was a chance that that attitude might change, and then he's come back. And now that attitude just stays. So, do I think Peter Lowell has day-to-day control over, um, you know, uh, Michael Nicholson or you know uh, transfers? And I'm like, no, no, not at all. But the problem is, you know, is that attitude, and Michael Nicholson's not been unable to break away from that. Uh, we still treat fans effectively as second-class citizens. Why is there not a fan representative on the board? You've got guys there who, what, forty years ago, as Patrick pointed out, had. What a business making tartan or something? I don't know. You know, Harris what, what, aye, Harris so what? You know, what insights is that fella bringing to the boardroom? Do you know what I mean? Uh, so are, are we going to are we going to be playing in tweed next year? Is that the next thing? I think uh, well, Celtic tartan was redesigned seven or eight years ago. Well, he could, he, he, could, he could be selling hair shirts to the fans next as punishment, um, but. You know what's he bringing? Why have we not got a fan representative on the board um, to at least get some sort of voice in there? Yeah, because they just don't listen. Uh, they're not listening. They're in their own wee bubble, and it is uh, really, really uh, disheartening. But look, at the end of the day, I, you know, people are saying you know, this is very negative today, and it is, and for good reason. Um, because there are things to be negative about. Is it going to stop us supporting the team? No. Uh, is it going to mean that we don't give our all to you know in terms of support for the players on the part? No. But we can't ignore these systemic failures um, and cultural failures uh, and corporate governance failures that lead to the situation where the fans are basically ignored. Um, it's just not good enough. No, it's not. Chilpil comes in to say, confirming the injury to Hatati, just got injured playing for Japan. Can this window actually get any worse? And Loopy 33 calf, that's him done until April then. Not good news, unfortunately. Shambles, as usual, says Ronnie Young. Are you talking about Axel or Celtic? I'm not sure, Ronnie. Being a Celtic supporter feels like being in an abusive relationship at times. That was discussed yesterday, actually. And talking about uh, entertainment at the football, Kev, I remember, and this isn't, well, maybe it is me being a Celtic da, I probably is, uh, the, the best entertainment was on the supporters bus going to and from the game. Because what you were being served up was absolute garbage back in the it's, day. It's funny, it's funny you should say that. Eh? Eh, Patrick Kielty is on the Pitch Invasion documentary about the Scots and Irish, right? Eh, how they've dominated British football for since the 1960s. Eh? And he says he just goes to Old Trafford because it's heritage. It's his Irish heritage to go to, to Old Trafford. And I think a lot of the Celtic fans just go to Celtic Park because it's what they do and it's what their grandfather's done and, and, and stuff like that. And that really struck a chord with me. It's not really what was happening on the park. I'll still be there because I enjoy the crack and the, the meeting up with the supporters bus and gone and gone with the guys to the football. Uh, I mean, I'll still be there and I'm yeah, sure about breaking Desmond's story and all that. couple of things just before we go, Paul, uh, in the comments... Uh, Kenny67 was asking where to watch Celtic in Naples I'll advise him not to bother and just enjoy the city go and do something else that is enjoyable 
uh, Ian Crichton asked uh, what height I was. Celtic bars. Was... Celtic bars. Have a look at the Celtic bars. He says there's nothing on Celtic bars, but just enjoying Naples, mate, and watching didn't get mugged. That's that, that's that. Ian Crichton asked what height I was because when I say I might still play for Celtic, Ian, unfortunately, I'm five foot six, so I didn't meet my own height criteria because I'm a wee bit of a leprechaun, but I can't grow a beard. Is that all you um, Five foot six. I'm five foot six. Five foot six and a half if I put on ZX 750s. Mm-hmm. And Plunge McNugget, he keeps on asking about the Rain Experiment Band. I did listen to them. They're not really my cup of tea, mate. Apologies. Oh, Plunge has been waiting for it. Right, Plunge, I'm going to listen to them now. Apologies. I'll give you my, my gen on them tomorrow. 100%. There's a lot of people talking about our link-up, our five-year deal with Kellogg's. Uh, get your serial puns in the yeah, comment great. section. Paddy Lavery, uh, the most underwhelming window in history. That's unless we go in and Nick Jota from under West Ham's nose, of course. We can but dream. 1,800 live. And I always feel rotten when so many people are watching this. And, and we're, you know, we're sharing the frustration. You can call it negative, but it is frustrating, isn't it? So we can share in the frustrations. Uh, and I feel rotten cutting you off when so many of you are tuning in from all over the, the, the globe. But I can absolutely guarantee you that we all appreciate your support so thank you very much for tuning in we're going to be back of course at 12 30 tomorrow um and all that's left for me to say is you know click on the links underneath this video give us a big thumbs up subscribe to the channel follow us on the social come back tomorrow at 12 30 and then we'll have a wee look at the uh the transfer window in its entirety all that's left for me to say kevin graham the five foot six and a half leprechaun john hughes the legend and patrick McGilp. The Voice of Reason, thank you for joining me on a Celtic State of Mind. Podcast Network.